0: Good morning, Buenos Dias, and Happy New Year, if you happen to be connected with uh, the Chinese community. Today's New Year's Day for them. Why does God want us to know this story about Peter in in Luke's Gospel? What does God want us to know? I mean, what does following Jesus have to do with where you work? or the wars that are going on, or the disturbances in, in South America in other nations. There's so much going on. What, what does this have to do with that? has a lot to do with it, because God wants us to be his lights, his followers, the ones who show us. And he wants us to know about Peter's life so that we can be better followers of Christ, so that we can be taking God's kingdom, God's good news, the gospel of Christ, into our world. Luke sets Peter up uh, as like the leader of the disciples. Uh, What what Peter's thinking, what Peter's wrestling with in his heart and mind, the other disciples are wrestling with those ideas as well and, and, and those thoughts. But Peter is set up as a spokesperson. So what Peter's thinking and doing, the other disciples are wrestling with those same issues as well. And each disciple needed to make a decision about whether they were going to follow Jesus or not, or if they were going to surrender to him or not, trust him or not. The 12 disciples had to do it. You and I have to do it as well. So Peter is the prime example for us in Luke's Gospel of what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to be Hey, uh, teenagers, if you're on a retreat, you, you know this. What's it mean to be a knowing, growing, and showing disciple? What's it mean to know Jesus Christ and to follow him, to, to know who he is as God and Savior? How do you grow in your trust in Jesus and your obedience? And, and then you're to be showing what that means by how you live. And if you need to know more information about that, ask Cyrus, because that's his outline that he spoke at the youth retreat. So Luke is using Peter as an example to show us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, so we can learn a lot from Peter. So that's why we take a time to look at these verses, and we focus in on them today. We get to watch and learn from Peter about what it means to follow Jesus. And just as a side note for some of you people, Luke chapter 5 is like a frame, beginning of a frame. And, and Luke chapter 5, we have Peter's uh, commitment to following Christ. At the end of this section, the Galilean ministry in Luke chapter 9, Luke frames it with Peter's confession of who Jesus is, reaffirming that Jesus is the Son of God. So so it's just kind of interesting that at the beginning of this section of Jesus' ministry and at the end of it, Peter's there making this commitment and then a confession of who Jesus is. So Jesus is calling to Peter and the other disciples to follow him, and I want you to know that's not done in a vacuum. It's not like Jesus says, here I am, follow me, and they just follow him. There's context here. Jesus has been teaching. They've been watching Jesus. This isn't the first invitation to follow him. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus cast out demons before. But now this event has special impact. They're beginning a journey. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a follower of the God and Savior who made you? So, we can learn from Peter. So, whether you're a longtime follower or a beginning follower, or maybe you're not yet a follower because you have doubts about it, well, I would just encourage you to study this commitment that Peter's made and consider if you should do the same. So, point number one four points today. Number one God provides the information we need to believe and follow him. In chapter four, we read this in verse. 43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And on one occasion, it says in verse chapter 5, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus is teaching. He's doing just what he was sent to do. And the crowd is pressing in on him. The word literally means pressed on him. It was like you're in a crowd and you're being pressed together. They were pressing against one another because they wanted to hear what Jesus was saying. They were hungry for the word of God. This is a beautiful picture. People hungering to hear The word of God. People wanting to hear what Jesus said because what Jesus was saying was very different from what they were used to hearing. It's a beautiful picture. So Jesus sits down in a boat. He uses the water as acoustics so that everyone could hear him because they were pressing in because they wanted to hear everything. So, well, God's pretty smart, isn't he? So he knows about water and acoustics and he used the lake to reflect, to bounce his voice off so everyone could hear. So they wouldn't miss how to be rescued from their sins and to have peace with God through faith in him, through Jesus. So that they would become people of faith and then become a blessing to their world. So that they wouldn't miss out on God's future kingdom. The crowds were hearing truths they'd never heard before. This wouldn't be the first teaching the disciples heard, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It wouldn't be the first miracle they saw. But this day, this day, maybe this is your day, when God's going to make an impression on you because of the truth that's being taught from his word, that will change your life. Years ago, when I was doing the math, probably nearly 50 years ago, I don't know where all the years have gone. I was a high school student, and there was a chaplain, a special guest speaker speaking at our church, the chaplain from Grove City College, which is out in western Pennsylvania, which is near where I grew up, which is near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, out there, okay, six hours away. So we had a guest speaker, and, you know, guest speakers can say things that pastors want to say but can't because of (laughs) self-preservation. And his sermon made an impression on me because I still remember this main idea. He was preaching, and I want you to know, you people in the back, I was sitting in the back Except I was in the balcony, and our balcony in our church was stair steps, so I was as back and as high, sitting with the youth group as far away from the pulpit as you could be and still be in the worship service. I wasn't always listening, but God the Spirit had me listening that day. And here's what he said, you people in the back, (laughs) and you people Everywhere, you ought to be in these front pews every Sunday, slobbering, hungrily for the word of God that your pastor preaches, pressing in to hear God's truth. Now, I want you to know something. If you're in the back, that doesn't mean you're not hungering for God's word any more than the people up front. But I do say this. Sometimes geography or location says a lot. Because if I'm mad at you, or you're mad at me, sometimes you sit on the other side of the room. Location does say things. But here's the point. Are we hungry for the word of God to change us, to impact us, Have you ever thought about how much of a picky eater you are when it comes to God's word? I like that news, but I don't really want to hear or wrestle with that. I don't want that to touch my life. Would you ask God the spirit to make you hungry? Drooling, so to speak, for the word of God to help make you hungry what God wants you to be, to press in and have your heart changed so that you surrender to his call if and when he calls you to come and follow. One other thing real quickly, too. Jesus' miracles speak, too. So here's Jesus teaching God's truth, and then you add the authority of him casting out demons and, and healing sicknesses of all kinds, and it's just proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Do you believe it? Little bunny trail, a little detour. Miracles are not a cure-all remedy for belief. Miracles can be seen and not believed. Make no difference. So just read Moses' story. Moses, through his hand, did all kinds of miracles, but there was a lot of unbelief in the camp. Read Elijah's story and Elisha's story. Read Jesus' story in the Gospel of Luke. Read the disciples' stories in the the book of Acts and and in the epistles, and you'll see that miracles don't change things. So if we can't do mighty miracles for Jesus, does that mean there's no hope? Absolutely not. Who convinced you that Jesus was God and Savior? It's mostly people whose lives are being changed by the gospel. It's hearing God's word that changes us. It's people who are authentic and wrestling with God's truth that have impact in our lives, who are praying, who are believing it. It's the Holy Spirit who opens up our hearts and minds to believe so that we can accept Christ. But that's what makes the difference. It's people that are being changed, willing to be changed by the gospel of Christ, that have impact. And miracles can help, but they're not the cure-all for it. It's changed living. So God's convincing people in our day of the truth that Jesus is the Christ. And your life situations, your hard times and your good times, right now can be used by God to make a difference. if you're willing to follow Jesus, to believe in him and to to chase after him. Believing in Jesus is not irrational. He gives us everything we need in his word and life to inform us to trust him. Secondly, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you need to know who he is through the information he gives us and secondly, Jesus If you're going to follow him, it's going to challenge normal thinking. Jesus' commands to Peter uh, just didn't make earthly common sense. There were two two commands here put out in the deep, take your boats and go fishing again, go out into deep water and let down your nets. So there were two commands there. Peter and his crew members, his friends, had to follow. And Peter's answer in verses 4 through 7 kind of tells it all. Let me read those again in verse 4 of chapter 5. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. (laughs) Peter's answer, Lord, we fished all night. It's almost like he was saying this. The best fishing's done at night. We've been out all night. We've done the best we could do. We didn't succeed. But I'll listen to your voice, master. We'll go out. But, but Jesus, I'm, I, I just have imagined you're a teacher. You're a really good teacher. <laughs> and you're a carpenter's son. But I will obey. He used the word master. That's a... Kind of a different word, a pistata. And the Spirit of God moved Luke to use that word here because the normal word would have been like rabbi or sir, lord. But he used the word master. And it was a word used to show respect. It was a word used that military people used, you know, when a, someone of higher rank and authority was in the room. They, even if you didn't like them, you used that word Master. And Peter defers to Jesus as master. He's showing respect. He's respecting his authority. And he he says, I'll listen to you. And that was really wise. Just remember now, Peter had seen miracles before. Demons cast out with a word by Jesus up to this point. He saw his mother-in-law healed of a high fever. He saw many sick people healed. He heard Jesus teach with authority on previous days. But he's about to gain more insight. Surrendering your will and listening to Jesus is not foolish. Jesus' truth is the most important truth. Listen to it. There are a lot of people trying to get your attention and telling us things. Some of them are somewhat true, half true, not true at all, but they sound good. Filter them through the truth of God. Don't accept lesser ideas for God's best and holy ideas. Listening to Jesus is the right thing to do even when it does not make sense. Like, lend and and don't expect back. Or turning the other cheek Praying for your enemies. Blessing them when they curse you. It doesn't make sense. It's not natural, but that is Jesus' word, God's commands, the grace he gives us to follow through. Jesus is saying to Peter and to us, you've seen my powerful authority, you've seen my teaching, me casting out demons, not healing diseases, will you just trust me today and obey my voice? and do what you know is best because I'm saying it. Obey my word even if it does not make sense right now. I just real quickly wanted to point out a story that maybe you're familiar with that didn't make sense when God said do this. It was Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 17. Here's what Abraham said when God told him, you're going to have a child. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring. It didn't make sense, but God said it's this way, and it happened. Same for Moses. Why wait 40 years to deliver your people, Lord, for me to grow up from 40 years old to 80 years old? Are you going to follow an 80-year-old? That was God's way. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that God sent his son Jesus as an infant and sent him so humbly and quietly to be crucified and beaten the first time, but it was necessary for our salvation. It doesn't totally make sense that the king of glory would come so humbly, but that is God's way. So Jesus gives us the information we need, and Jesus also is going to ask you and me to follow him, to trust him, even when the world says, that doesn't make sense. To me, it's like, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, you ought to have a backup plan, (laughs) just in case his way doesn't work out the way you like it. But no, it makes sense to trust him, to follow him. Third key point. Peter's Isaiah experience. Look at what happens after there's this great catch of fish. In verse 8, we pick up, but when Simon Peter saw this great catch of fish, the boats are sinking. What did he do? He fell down at Jesus' feet on his knees and said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter's Isaiah experience. He's overwhelmed by Jesus's powerful glory. Hey, Jesus is not only master of people, but he's master of the fish. He's master of everything because he's God Almighty and he created everything. So it's no problem for him to to set things in order. And, and Peter says, depart from me. The, the New International Version says, get away from me. He was overwhelmed by Jesus's holiness and power, and he was overwhelmed, and Peter was overwhelmed by his own unholiness, his sinfulness. He felt dirty. Have you ever gotten down on your knees? You know, if I got down on my knees right now, I might not be able to get up too quick. That's a very humbling position. And one day, all of us are going to bow before Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And we can do that in asking for his mercy now. Or we will do it in fear dreading the judgments that's coming because we refuse to do it willingly. Who of us can hope to survive standing in God's presence? We unholy, selfish creatures standing before the God Almighty who's holy and perfect and pure. So Peter's driven to his knees and humbly admits that he's unworthy to stand in Jesus' presence. Isaiah had a similar experience. I just want to, in in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a vision of God. He had a vision of God sitting in a temple, and the the temple was shaking, and it was filled with smoke, and, and, and there were angels. The angels surrounding the throne were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And what, did, what, did I, what was Isaiah's response? He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm going to be undone because I live among people who, who are liars and cheats and break the law and all these things. But what did God do? He cleansed them. An angel took a coal and touched his lips, signifying you're cleansed, and then God said, I need someone to go and preach. and So he was on, not, Isaiah was cleansed and then commissioned to go. And that's what's happening here with Peter. He's seeing God in all his glory, and he realized, woe is me, I'm a man undone. He gets down on his knees, and he said, God, I'm so, I, I can't be in your presence. I'm too afraid, and I'm, I'm fearful. And, and... But I noticed this. Neither Isaiah or Peter are cast away. They're invited in. They're invited to be a part of God's life and ministry and kingdom and to live forever. That's amazing. That God would take time to cleanse us rather than cast us away, he brings us in. So so Luke focuses on this moment in Peter's life because he and the other disciples are changed. And we see that, see what happens next. The disciples came trusting God. They, They came in different ways, but here we see the formula, okay? Repeated elements of true belief. Recognizing God is righteous, he's holy, he's perfect. Recognizing that we're unholy, that we're sinful, that we're, we're, we're unclean because of who we are and what we've done. And then salvation comes when we humble ourselves in admission and admit that God needs to rescue us from our sins. That is the life-changing difference. Peter's confession, depart from me for I am a sinful man, becomes his resume To serve God. Isn't it interesting? I love what Daryl Bach says humility is the spiritual elevator to spiritual greatness. If you want to be raised up, you got to go down. You got to serve, starting on your knees before God. And when we confess that we are unclean, God will raise us up because that is God's way. So what happens after all this? New directions for the disciples. So Peter's on his knees, humbling himself before God. And what does Jesus do? He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So the first thing we see is that God gives Peter and the other disciples a gift. The assurance Of grace. Do not be afraid. Yeah, you're dirt, you're dust, you're a creature, and I'm the creator. But trusting in me, I will raise you up and you will find life. So be afraid before God. We ought to be. And then rejoice in his gift of grace and salvation. John, who was here, one of those disciples dealing with the fish in those boats, here's what he says about Jesus in in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus came. Not to condemn Peter, but to change Peter, to transform John and James and Andrew and all the disciples and you and me. If we will just simply humble ourselves and believe. And then Peter gets a new task. You used to fish for for fish, Peter, but now I will make you a catcher, a fisher of men, of people. Peter, you know something about catching fish. I do too, and Jesus says, but I know how to catch people for God's kingdom, and I want you to come and follow me, and I will make you a fisher of people. That's pro- fishing is hard work. I wouldn't know. I've never done it, <laughs> but I've been told, <laughs> and fishing for people is even harder work. But God is with us, and we can do it. And that's the reason we're working our way through Luke's gospel, so that we watch Jesus teach us how to catch people for God's kingdom. There are repeated themes in Luke's gospel. The word master comes up a lot. We don't like the word master, because it means if we call somebody master, that means we're below them. That's a hard word to take. I don't like people telling me what to do. But Jesus is worth listening to. The second thing Luke brings up again and again, repeated in his gospel, is they left everything and followed him. (laughs) Those are uncomfortable themes. The word master, because of its connotations, and they left everything and followed Luke will not let them rest. Read through his gospel. And Jesus is always teaching about trusting, following me, and leaving things behind. And I don't like to do that either. But Jesus is worth following. What you've been asked to give up can be very different from what I've been asked to give up. What you're the issues you're wrestling with to surrender to Jesus may be very different than mine. Maybe you're never going to have to change your job or maybe you're never going to have to move to a foreign land to speak another language and learn another culture. Maybe God just wants you to be where you are at your workplace because of the people that are there or the classroom that you have and the teacher that you don't like because there's somebody there that God wants you to reach across the aisle to speak into their life, to live your life before them. Maybe you just, God wants you just to go across the street, not across the ocean. To meet someone to become their friend we may have different paths but we have the same Lord calling us to come follow me and I'll make you able to catch people for God's kingdom repeated themes uncomfortable themes and the end theme is the same for everyone happy music <laughs> happy thought Do you know what the end theme is? John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, that where I am there you may be also. That's the end theme that keeps coming back. If you dare to follow Jesus, you dare to trust him and surrender the things that he's asking you to give up, give up your boats. I don't know what your boat is. It's just one thing. Maybe you do need to give up your boat to become a fisher of men. I don't know of people, a fisher of people, but whatever that is, follow me and you will be with me when it's all said and done. Peter surrendered and he dropped his nets and he followed Jesus. It's not the big things, like Peter's event here, that we have to give up. Sometimes it's just the daily routines. Have you begun this journey with Jesus Christ? You can. Recognize and declare how unworthy you are to stand before this pure and holy, merciful, good God Ask for his forgiveness. Lord, save me as you've promised. And if we ask, he will gladly save and lead you in new directions that you can't imagine now. Or maybe you've started the journey. Maybe you're on the way for a little while. Is there something outside the normal that God's asking you to let go of? that doesn't make sense to you, but you know he's asking a new task, a new unknown path, will you dare trust him? Jesus has given us the information we need to trust, to drop our nets and to follow him because he's a good master, he's a merciful God and savior, and don't be afraid to obey him, to trust his word, follow him. He's leading you to a kingdom that will never end. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here today doubting that you are good and that you're able to bring them to holy places and to change them, I ask you to work in a mighty way in minds and hearts to convince them that you are the Savior. Lord God, I ask you to graciously speak and give us courage to drop whatever you ask us to drop and to follow you without hesitation. To hesitate less and less that we would surrender and obey your voice more quickly with each passing day. Lord, keep teaching us how to fish for people, for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.